This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. We'll begin with prayer and do this session, People of the Book in the Age of the Apps. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for, for life and life more abundantly as it is in Jesus. As we're thinking through all of these media issues, Father, we just ask for wisdom from on high. We ask for clarity. We ask for your will to be known, to be made known to us, and to be done in our lives as we submit and surrender to your leading. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no other book so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties as the broad ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. Have you ever heard that quote before? It's a good one, isn't it? We are people of the book, aren't we? We're going to talk in this session about the book with a capital B. We're also going to talk a lot about literacy and book reading in general. And in the age of the app, What does that mean for us as digital citizens of this online culture? What is that on the screen right there? Do you know? This is the printing press, the invention that changed the course of human history dramatically. And I would argue for the better. The printing press brought literacy to the common people, which brought forth movements and reforms like the world had never seen in rapid pace. We're talking about enlightenments and the Protestant Reformation, but even things that that brought civic reforms and individual freedom. You wouldn't have the foundation of the American Republic. Definitely you wouldn't have Martin Luther's tracts and the German Bible and Tyndale's English Bible going out to the common people. The printing press changed things dramatically in the Western world, in social arenas, in medical arenas, in economic. And how about the Advent movement, the printing press, and the Advent and Sabbath Review and Advent Herald, Second Advent Review and Sabbath Herald. This thing was to go as streams of light around the world. So we are blessed to be people of the book, people who received the truths of the Word of God in written form. The meaning behind the title of this session and the meaning of the title of this whole seminar, Reclaiming the Human Soul in the Digital Dark Age, I'm thinking about a a, a legitimate fear that the very civilization that came to be in the last 500 years since the printing press was invented is in danger. Because if we are in a digital information age, awash in information, Is it possible that we've confused information with knowledge and wisdom and that a a digital dark age is upon us where real literacy is under fire? That sounded crazy right here in the intro. But as we move forward, whoa, it could be true. Let's start with this. Dr. Marianne Wolf, cognitive neuroscientist, is perhaps the foremost expert in the world on reading and the reading brain. And... The title suggests in her book, Reader Come Home, that we have got to recapture the the art and the the, the act and the the skill of, of, of reading. She lays out in her book an amazing list of the benefits of reading that made me go, wow, 
I feel like I've read this somewhere like in the Bible. Benefits of reading books. You ready for it? If you're a book reader, a person who has literacy at the forefront of your life and you're a reader, you will be more critically thinking. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Let us not be mere reflectors of other men's thoughts, but let us be thinkers. Education. Uh, I don't know the page number. Look it up. Sorry. Look it up on your app. <laughs> By the way, if you missed the balancing statements from earlier today, I like media. Like, it's pretty awesome that I can bring up the EGW2 app on here, and I have my books app, and I can listen to the audios, and I can search the audios. When I'm on airplanes, and I'm flying places and doing media on the brain seminars at churches, I can't be taking, like, a, a hand truck full of, you know, the Spirit of Prophecy books with me. That would cost a lot on the, uh, the airlines to get the additional baggage. I've got it right here in my palm of my hand. That's great, right? <coughs> so, that aside, reading physical paper books, being a reader of books, leads to critical thinking, leads to creativity. We've been given a power akin to that of the creator, the power to think and to do. That's also in the book Education. Personal reflection, she calls it. I call it from 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see if ye be in the faith. Personal reflection, looking at our own soul in the mirror. And when you read a book, when you read about the lives of people like Martin Luther and Tyndale, who I mentioned, or anybody throughout history, real stories and histories and the, the Protestant Reformation, the Advent movement, and even things in, in other realms of life and great, great people who accomplished great things, you start to... Look at, the, at that as a mirror into your own heart and, and your own um, life. And so personal reflection takes place. Third, fourth of all, empathy. Empathy, that's love, right? That's feeling somebody else's feelings. Thinking about somebody else's walking in their shoes increases when we are book readers. So when, when the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's saying, care about them. Be willing to sacrifice self to uplift and benefit another. That's the biblical definition of love right there. Also, by the way, Stanford University found that when you're reading stories about people, there is actual mirror neuron activity happening in your brain. You are identifying with their experience when you're reading carefully, when you're reading deliberately, if you're speed reading and just getting the gist of it, then what happens is actually you're not having as much mirror neuron activity. So when you read in counsels to parents, teachers, and students, that when, when we are reading just fiction for the superficial reading of the story, for entertainment value, in my words, entertainment value, it says superficial reading of fiction of types of books. It says not to do that, right, in the spirit of prophecy. Well, now we know it's going to reduce empathy. Also, there's another statement that says, if the, the appetites for our reading wasn't spoiled with the reading of those types of books, the fiction types of books, then the young people would pronounce the Bible the most interesting book they have ever read if their appetites weren't, weren't spoiled by the reading of the, the popular types of reading. So what she's talking about here is serious reading. Empathy will increase. Stanford University showed that when you're reading deliberately, you're going to have more mirror neuron activity uh, going on in the brain, which is what God wants for us, right? Personal reflection, critical thinking, creativity, all of it. Now, the reading circuit of the brain 
really, it doesn't really exist. I mean, we, there isn't like a dedicated circuit, an area of the brain, like that's the reading area. We piece together a lot of different areas in the brain when we learn to read and we develop a reading circuit. It's an amazing thing what our brains were created for. You know, God made Adam and Eve and, and there, wasn't, there wasn't books at the time, right? They could spot, talk with the God, the, the Jesus who walked with them in the cool of the day right there. And so we developed this, you know, millennia later in, in human history. And what's pretty cool is when you're reading, you're piecing together circuits from two hemispheres in the brain, four lobes per hemisphere, and five layers of the brain. And it fires off in a millisecond when you identify the meaning of those characters and put it together in the words. I mean, when you're a little kid and you're learning to read, it's not a millisecond, it's hard, but it happens when you've learned that skill, and it's a powerful thing. Did you know how you have more connections in one cubic centimeter of your brain than all the stars in the galaxy? That's just one little tiny piece of that brain. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's amazing that we can do this. So when it says in the Bible, the ultimate command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and what? Mind and strength. Being thinkers, being readers, being intelligent. I'm worried that the media is dumbing us down and we are losing some of that as we'll get into. I have to make a slide out of this or I forget to do it. There's a yellow notebook. You guys already got that one started. Awesome. It's an email shine-in sheet to be in touch with us. Please send me your emails. You'll be in touch with me when you get on that as well. ScottRitzma at gmail.com if you just want to send me an email. I'm always available on email. Neil Postman wrote in 1985 in his book, Amusing ourselves to death. He showed from recent research at that time that the more television you watch, the less intelligent you become. So television was dumbing us down with that type of media at that time. Well, what about with the advent of the internet and other types of media? By 2003, King's College London, University of London found that in studies, kids were already performing two entire grade levels below where they were in the 1970s. So one generation later, two grade level drop by 2003. The internet, smartphones, everything digital now is a whole nother generation removed from 2003. How are we doing now? Well, since the advent of the smartphone and social media, SAT scores, particularly in language and reading, have dropped 13 points each in just 10 years. How did that happen so quickly and so dramatically? Well, we'll get into it, but right there, by the way, I used to be a teacher. That's my background. I was a teacher in history and government and economics and then went into teaching Bible at the end of my teaching career when I was coming into the truth and getting into the Adventist schools, and I loved it. And I guess I'm still teaching here. That's what I do at churches every weekend and here at GYC and other events. And I, I, I look at that not because I think we are, like, saved by our intellect, but a 13-point drop in reading and language it, in, um, in, in language and reading skills there on the SAT is going to have major implications for our thinking skills in general, not just standardized tests, but they found these young people, nine to 10 year olds, who were doing just two hours of screen time per day only, had significant drops in thinking skills and language skills. This was a $300 million study, by the way. It's continuing on for the next 10 years. And they found thinking and language skills dropping among these young people ages 9 to 10 years old. So we can sum that all up with the media mind is definitely becoming dumbed down, but the mind of Christ 
intelligent, intelligent in the things of God, and thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Now, lest we get a little imbalanced on the idea of the intellect and, 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 and being thinkers and smarts, remember in the Desire of Ages where it talked about the Pharisees? And it's, they were the guys who knew everything, right? They were the know-it-alls, huh? And it says in Desire of Ages, what they needed was not more intellectual attainments. What they needed was spiritual renovation. Humility, sacrifice, obedience, all of those things. Faith, justice, and mercy, right? That's what the ultimate aim of our walk with Jesus Christ is. One aspect of our loving God and being committed to him is loving him with all of our mind. So we don't want to discount the mind. We don't want to just embrace ignorance. No, no, we got to get the right balance there, but also don't feel that we are saved by our intellect. Language skills, though, and thinking skills will have tremendous spiritual implications. Thinking skills, are you thinking about the deceptions coming in the last days? Are we able to discern? How about language skills? Did you know that all learning and all thinking is forms on, on the basis and the foundation of language that we learn early in life or that we develop as readers as we get older. So our thinking abilities will be based upon language skills and, of course, thinking skills themselves. Now, what about educational technology? You might say, okay, I get it. We're doing so much entertainment media, so much video games, so much just mind-numbing stuff and popular music. It's like, no kidding, we're being dumbed down. But one of the big controversies in educational circles has been educational media, so-called, educational technology. There's two divergent paths that it seems are forming here. Well, you see this, this headline, the no-tech school where screens are off limits even at home. And this is one that was done to try to get back to the basics, like the tech executives and engineers in Silicon Valley I told you about in the first session. The most sought-after private school in Silicon Valley is a Waldorf-style school where they have zero electronic media, educational media, and technology. It's back to the basics type of things. But this one, U.S. classrooms are starting to resemble arcades. We're going to gamify the learning process. Everything's going to be on screens because we got to get motivation going. And so we're going to make it all, as I said, gamified, meaning rewards and online types of things that make it make, make motivation happen. <clears throat> the case against screens in schools by Dr. Nicholas Cardaris points out psychologist and author of Failure to Connect, How Computers Affect Our Children's Minds, Jane Haley spent years researching computer use in schools. While she expected to find that computers in the schools would be beneficial, Haley now feels that time on the computer might interfere with development of everything from the young child's motor skills to his or her ability to, to distinguish reality from fantasy. Whoa, that's a strong statement there, isn't it? So how's it working for you? Well, students who use computers frequently at school do worse. Market Watch headlines reports on the study of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, where they had 15-year-old students across 34 countries studied, and they found students who use computers very frequently at school do much worse, even after accounting for social background and student demographics. So they control all the variables, and the only variable is tech use, and they say, 
high frequency of the use of the educational technology is producing much worse results for those 15-year-olds. There was a uh, anecdotal, or it was, a, it was a study, a small population here at West Point Academy, where they had an economics course that was taught by the same professor, same demographic of students, randomly selected into these three different sections he taught of the same course. And one, one section, he made it so that they could use laptops and that the, 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 the laptops were permitted to come into the class and be used for class purposes. And, you know, how many of them are going to actually use it for class purposes? Maybe they'll get a little distracted. Well, then they had the second group, and they had, um, they had um, what do you call it, uh, tablets, tablets, and not laptops. But the tablets were only permitted for, for class uh, materials. And then the third group was no screens at all. So you got the three groups, you got laptops, kind of do what you want on there, tablets with only class material, and, and no technology, pen and paper type of thing. Unsurprisingly, the students who were allowed to use laptops in the first section, 80% of them did, scored worse on the final exam because they probably spent a significant amount of their time on social media and other things, right? What's interesting is that the smartest students seem to be harmed most, huh? And the tablet-only section did just as poorly as the laptop-friendly section. Even though students were not allowed to check email or play games on the tablets, the technology still seemed to interfere with their learning. So there's something about the technology itself that is interfering with the learning process, which is why a meta-analysis at Durham University looked at 48 studies on tech-based interventions. We're going to help the children develop in their skills, and we're going to use you know, media technological, uh, uh, educational technology. They found traditional methods of interventions were high, having higher rates of success than the, than the screen-based interventions. That's why Nicholas Cardaris came out with this great headline in Time magazine. Screens in schools are a $60 billion hoax. He's correct. After decades and decades of research now of technology in the classroom, there is zero solid evidence at all that this stuff is helping with the learning in early childhood, middle, high school, on up into the college so when we think from the earliest ages, what is it that lays that groundwork? It's the language skills, language development. When you have that toddler on the lap and you're reading the book right there, they call that shared attention. And it's a very positive social bond as well as a literacy development when you're reading to them. When you're reading books to children, whether toddlers or older, that you tend to be using words that you wouldn't maybe otherwise use in your lexicon and sentence structure and verbiage and so on that's, that's expanding and extending their, their literacy. And maybe you're enunciating a little better. You're reading it a little more deliberately than you would in common conversation. And so you can actually predict very accurately how good a child will be able to read as he grows up and gets older based upon how much he's read to at an early age and how he can thus distinguish the phonics sounds at age five. So you pinpoint age five, how, how well is the literacy and the, the language developed at that point, and you can predict where they're going to be reading beyond that. Now, learning to read at age five, no benefit. Actually, you, you end up a better reader if you learn to read at age seven than if you learn to read at age five. Like, oh, who knew? Oh, wait, that was written in Spirit of Prophecy, wasn't it? Like, let's not force so much education on an unready and unreceptive mind. And it says the, the mother can be the teacher until age 8 or 10, right? So the Lord knew and showed that to us, but the research is starting to catch up. What Dr. Christakis says is, toddlers need laps, not apps. I love that phrase. But, but what if all of us, our kids, are using 
text on a screen that's the exact same text that's in the book. And then maybe it's books versus like enhanced ebooks, you know, an ebook with additional enhancements, you know, little pop-ups and things that will add to the reading experience. Well, what they found is in studies, comprehension, reading comprehension is better in the physical paper book versus the enhanced ebook. And they were studying this all the way back with that device. I remember when that was invented and my neighbor said, Scott, I, we got a new computer. I had a Tandy 1000, an IBM. And there was no such thing as that, that thing right there with a the cord. He goes, it's an apple. I'm like, what do you mean it's an apple? Like, I'm imagining an apple, you know? It's a computer called an apple. It has a mouse. I'm like, an apple and a mouse? What are you talking about? <laughs> I go over, and he's moving this little thing with the cord, and it moves this little arrow on the screen. I'm like... Whoa, this is amazing. So they invented hyperlinks and you can click on the link and they're going, this is going to enhance the reading process. Yeah, 1989, they were already doing studies on this and they found text with hyperlinks in it is distracting the reader and lowers reading comprehension versus reading that same text in a book. So we've known this for 30 years. It's amazing. Now, what if it's just no bells and whistles? No enhancements, no e-readers with additional things that the kids are pinging on and getting little you know, icons and notifications. What if it's just simple screen-based text with no links? Okay, well, what they, they studied this at Durham, or Dartmouth University, and they found that the quality of reading is deeper and the comprehension is better when reading the physical paper book than reading the exact same thing. And it's just a screen, it's just a PDF, it's just an e-reader. Wow. Now, we are better on screens at being fact chasers. Skimming and identifying facts, we're better at that. So screens have an advantage there. Books have an advantage in the other areas. In study in Norway, they had subjects read identical story on a Kindle versus a book. And they found Peter, people were better at reconstructing and, and, and retelling the story narrative if they had read it in a book than if they had read it on a Kindle. Pretty interesting. 2012 Israeli study of engineering students who grew up in the world of screens looked at, at their comprehension while reading the same text on screen and in print while under time pressure to complete the task. The students believe they did better on the screen, right? Because screen-based everything is better than the non-virtual alternative, isn't it? Well, they were wrong. They didn't do better on the screen. Their comprehension and learning was better on paper. So then they summed this up with a 33-study meta-analysis and found across the board in all the studies, you're looking at reading comprehension better in books, remembering more, and learning more than reading those same things on the screen no matter what the type of screen is. So we can sum that up with what happens when you're in an enhanced ebook and such. You're more scattered and distracted, links distracting you. The, me the mind of Christ focused, right? We looked at the word heed in the King James, pay attention, executive function, enhanced more when we're reading the physical book, even more than something on, on a screen. And as I thought about that, by the way, I, 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 I want to make a case for getting the physical paper Bible out for devotions. Because when we think about this thing of scattered and distracted, you know, I use this. I mentioned it, right? It's not like a, a sin issue and evil. And good. It's what's going to be the best and most effective way for me to have my time with the Lord. And when I reopen the physical paper Bible, you know what happens? 
You know what never happens? A pop-up, a notification, right? <laughs> There's never in the margin over here another icon or another um, app that I'm tempted to click on when I'm really meaning to go for my Bible app. I won't ask you to show your hands. How many of you have got on your phone to do your devotions and another thing grabbed your attention, you were on that first? So like, I'm just going to do this quick, right? And that's disrupting our time with the Lord, isn't it? And, and it's not evil. Like, use it, right? Search it. Do your little, you know, Bible app and all that. I don't actually use a Bible app. I, 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 I like the physical paper Bible. I do like that E.G. White app because, again, the hand cart. But um, the physical paper version is going to get us deeper into thought and into contemplation about the things of God and, and, and meditating upon his law day and night. I'm going to take those words back, by the way. Contemplating the word of God. Meditating upon his law day and night. I'm not going to let the New Agers have all the good language. We're not doing contemplative. We're not doing New Age meditation. We are truly contemplating something. Truly thinking. Ponder these things, the Bible says. Think about such things. So um, the mind of Christ focused. The media mind more scattered and distracted. We're being removed as a culture from the ways that human beings have thought for hundreds of years, been able to think critically as intelligent and educated people. We've developed our minds through real literacy that brings metaphors, abstract concepts, logical narratives, conceptual frameworks. That would be like the media mind is... The mind of Christ is. It's a, it's a framework to think about a concept within, right? A conceptual framework. Long attention spans. Oh, boy, do we need to go back to the morning session, the first one? For deep analysis, critical thought. That's what reading develops. And we're now losing those abilities to conceive of and communicate nuanced ideas. Big, deep, wide, vast ideas. And be doers and thinkers and small c creators because it's the culture of the instant frozen moment. The world of the here and now. The impression I get in this moment on the social media post. Just the soundbite. Just the frozen moment of the insta everything. The insta culture is upon us, isn't it? Nothing has long-term consequences for this generation. We don't think about the cause to effect reasoning that is such the basis of human thought thought. The, the beneath the surface level takes time and attention span and intelligence to probe and consider and the insta culture doesn't permit that. In 280 characters you got to sum it up, don't you? Actually the average tweet is only 34 characters. Did you know that? We're thinking 280 characters. What can you say in that? I was in pain last night trying to come up with something to say in 30 seconds in the little promo piece that they give to the seminar speakers. I can't imagine doing it in 34 characters. You're inundated with social media with an enormous volume of messages, right? And the expected velocity or speed of those messages to go back and forth at rapid paces with lots of the things being bounced back and forth. It's like ping pong in the brain and we're not having that moment. It doesn't allow us to really go deep, to study, to pray, to engage, to have time together. So what happens? Well, our exchange of ideas will correspondingly become more shallow. And that's not to say we can't do anything deep on social media, but largely not as much depth is happening on social media because of the nature of the medium. The media mind becomes more shallow, but the mind of Christ, deep. Here you go. 
Google it mentality leaves school leavers, that's what they call them in England, graduates, unprepared for university study finds. This study found that university admissions officers say that today's crop of students are, quote, unable to remember facts, because we have a Google it mentality, unable to think, 90% of them agreed with that statement, unable to think. That's a strong uh, statement. 90% of them said that. Unable to manage their workloads, unable to manage their time, and they just have a general Google it mentality. It's like this graphic that appears ad nauseum in our day and in our brain. I don't know. Google it. I don't know. Google it. I don't know. Google it. I don't know. What do I need a memory for? Why would I need to recall facts? I have outsourced my memory to the external drive of my brain. This is an external memory collecting fact holding thing. I don't need it. I don't need to think anymore. CEO of Google said, he admitted, we are altering cognition and affecting deeper thinking. I love how he used very neutral passive terms there. Altering and affecting. It's not that it's, it's not we're damaging thinking. It's not we are reducing cognition. It's just being altered. Maybe it's being altered for the better. Affecting uh, deeper, uh, deeper thinking for the better. Well, not only is Google storing our facts for us, but they're going to start thinking, doing our thinking for us and already have actually. Near, having your smartphone nearby takes a toll on your thinking. This was amazing to me. They had people set their phone face down on the table not to be used, and they did a series of cognitive tasks. A second group was to place their phone in their pocket and not use it and do a series of cognitive tasks. A third group was to leave it in the other room and go and do the series of cognitive tasks. Same demographics, all variables controlled, same questions people are asked. You're like, there's no way. They're not even using their phone. It's just sitting there. Yeah, the phone sitting there group performed the worst. The phone in the pocket group where it wasn't in visual eyesight, but its presence was still there, um, performed second, uh, second, second best. And then the group who left the phone in the other room performed the best. Just not having it sitting there actually made these people recall and rely on their memory and their thinking more. Even though the group with it sitting there wasn't allowed to use it. Just the sitting there of the phone affected their performance. Just the presence of our devices can affect our cognition and our thinking and our performance on intellectual tasks. Lloyd's Insurance Group looked at the, the um, memory span of the average person because they were noticing an increased number of pots boiling over and bathtubs left running and lost keys. And they're like, okay, they and insurance companies analyze everything, right? They have algorithms and they have data on everything so they can set their rates accordingly and adjust their, their, their insurance methods. They found that the average human memory span has dropped 12 minutes, from 12 minutes to 5 minutes, so more than 50% drop in just 10 years' time. That's over 50% drop in just 10 years. The media mind is forgetful, but the mind of Christ, retentive, retentive minds. Serious reading takes a hit from online scanning and skimming, researchers say. Okay, what, is they, what do they mean by serious reading versus online reading? Well, 
To cognitive neuroscientists, this experience is the subject of great fascination and growing alarm. Humans, they warn, seem to be developing digital brains with new circuits for skimming through the torrent of information online. This alternative way of reading, important phrase, they're not the same kinds of reading. Opening a book to read, reading online, is not the same kind of reading. It's a new brain scan, a brain circuit that's being formed. They called it a digital brain. The alternative way of reading is competing with traditional deep reading circuitry that I mentioned before that we've been using for so many hundreds of years. So there's a digital, quote, reading style that many people have adopted, and then there's the literary reading style. You might say, Scott, that's redundant. Why do you need to say literary reading style as the reading reading style? Well, this so-called reading needs some modification now as we describe it, because when people get online, typically they, they dart around in the shape of an F. They will read toward the top across, and then they will come down and read over, maybe a little less, and then they'll kind of skim down the side, and more or less. And it's, it's, it's F-shaped, ironically, as a teacher, that uh, is quite fitting as a grade in class. But anyway, it's, it's, it's not continuous, sustained, concentrated reading as much as it is in a book. It's chopped up into bursts. It's also more entertainment-oriented. Uh, where you're barely skimming the surface of things and you're not going deep into the cognitive capabilities that God has given to us. We're not going into edification and love God with all your mind and all the deep things. The media mind is just literally, I better not say literally. The media mind is, is illiterate. The mind of Christ is literate. That is not hyperbole. Illiterate in the normal way of reading in books. Reading is not just phonics and being able to sound out words. Reading is the comprehension that takes place. And if we're only doing the digital reading, and we don't, we, we're, as a culture, we're losing that ability, literally, I did it, literally becoming illiterate. It's a terrible, terrible sounding statement, but it has, it has the meaning intended. Internet brain in just five days. Dr. Gary Small's research at UCLA found that internet users' brains function differently than non-users' brains. How long does it take? One hour a day for five days, you're jumping around online and you've rewired your brain for that digital online experience. So our environment has changed dramatically in the last 20 years, right? And so if it's changed dramatically, we want to stop and ask, is this what we want for our brains, right? Are we pausing to question and reflect on how much of that we want as forming the circuits of our brain? And are we just leaping headlong into every new thing and where big tech might be taking us, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, and who knows what's next, right? If you were at the last session, you heard a quote from a top Facebook um, executive saying, you don't realize it, but you are being programmed. I won't repeat all of the things that was said there, but that were said there, but media theorists for many decades have talked about how the entertainment media and the news media and the big traditional media have always been taking the culture on a unconscious current unconscious current like in a river where we're not aware we're just going along for the ride but I want to say stop wait choose ye this day whom ye shall serve and choose ye this day whom ye shall be what our brains are is who we are and that's not to take away from use of digital technologies but if I'm giving way to the digital reading style at the expense of a literacy real literary reading style I wonder if it is a digital dark age you remember the dark ages 
or you don't remember them, you weren't alive. It's from your history. <laughs> in, the, in the Dark Ages, people didn't have books. They didn't have literacy. They were not educated. They were kept in the dark. They were kept ignorant, kept ignorant of the word of God. That was the method that was used by the papal powers of that time to keep the stranglehold upon the minds of the masses in Europe. And so with people unable to think and study and read the Bible for themselves, they were easily deceived because it was a dark age of much illiteracy. I said a dark age. We usually call it the dark age or the dark ages. But are we coming upon a final dark age, a digital dark age? Because you, you do know in prophecy that the persecutions that were then will be repeated, right? And the deceptions that were then will be well nigh universal again. And you're like, how do we get there? And a lot of it is the moral fall and the decline in the family. There's a lot of aspects to it that lead to that. But much of it may have to do with this issue of, of people not reading, studying the Bible for themselves and knowing the truth for themselves because we are entering upon this now digital dark age. This is what Maggie Jackson, a secular writer on this, says. She says a dark age is a cultural collapse that leads to an abyss of forgetfulness. We have nothing to fear lest we forget how God led us in our past history. Knowing a little bit about history, a lot bit hopefully about the Reformation and reading the great controversy is a prerequisite to understanding who we are today and where we are going. Prophecy is future. History is past. But we've got the insta-culture. What do those matter? All that matters is the impression and feeling I get when I hop online and check my feed or whatever the situation is. Are we heading into some dramatic implications for the soul when the digital dark age encroaches upon our own lives? So what is the goal then, Scott? Well, I wouldn't suggest totally eliminating the, I mean, these tools are awesome, right? We're using them powerfully. I've got a lot of info in this seminar of screenshots, as you've noticed. So totally eliminate? No, 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 not totally eliminating it. I mean, maybe some people need to fast or maybe some people do need to totally eliminate it. But the goal, the general goal for the vast majority of us in the digital reading age would be, I borrowed this phrase from Marianne Wolf, a biliterate brain. So it's okay to read online, right? And we do it differently. We're better fact chasers on there. If anybody saw my, my, my laptop with my three different web browsers, each one with like, you know, 20 to 40 tabs open at a time, you'd be like, yeah, you do a bit of that too, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love gathering information online, but I've had to discipline myself personally with kids and you're busy and it's like there's devotion time, but are you doing more reading and study? Do you ever touch a book other than that, you know? And I found myself doing, getting imbalanced in that. So the biliterate brain would be retaining real reading abilities by getting the physical parchments out with the ink and the black on the white paper. You remember that stuff? I see some of you writing paper notes. That's kind of neat retaining and retraining, retaining real reading abilities and retraining our brains for how we read on screens. So it's not just so chopped up into spasmodic bursts of nothingness where we, where we really slow down when we're online, when we're reading something to ponder it. You don't need to click on something immediately after having the, the impression in the moment. Just pause and hang out there for, and think through that or go deep and actually read an entire thing and say, okay, I'm gonna spend some time to read that. But a third of teens haven't read a single book in the past year 
either in print or in e-reader form or on their phone or anything. A third of them haven't read a single book. And you're like, aren't they in school? <laughs> yeah, that's why it's really scary. It's TLDR, right? Pfft, too long, didn't read. It's the acronym that defines a generation. The generation that didn't read, let it not be. In the 50s, I was asking my mom about this. I said, "How? I've got data from 1976. I don't have data from the 50s when you grew up. Tell me, mom, how many teens would you say read a book or a periodical most days of the week? And this is 12th graders that they looked at this data on in 1976 and then again in 2016. She said, you're talking about 12th graders who are in school? I said, yeah. How many of the 12th graders in school were reading a book or a periodical most days of the week? She's like, well, all of them. We, I mean, we had to, to, to pass our classes. So not necessarily 100%, but whatever the data might find, it's well up there in the 90s percent. By 1976, you have a generation raised on television now, right? It was down to 60% of 12th graders were reading a book or a periodical most days of the week. By 2016, only 15% of 12th graders are reading something. And, and that includes e-readers. That includes e-readers. Uh, how, how, how are we getting by? And by the way, it's not just teens. It's adults, too. It's even professional authors. I read a very interesting article by a famous Christian author. And he's, he's, he's known as being the scholar and everything. And he's written so many books. And he writes in this, in this article in the Washington Post about how he's got a massive, vast library of 5,000 books in his home. 5,000 books. And he's read them all. And they're marked up. And pages are turned over. And they're highlighted. And he's like, I've been a person of the mind and literacy and reading. And he says, I find that I don't even read books like I used to because of all the online things that are happening and grabbing my attention. He says, I, I'll even go online. This is an elderly man now. I'll go online and I'll try to digest a single article. And there's this little thing that grabs my attention. It's like 30 Amish secrets that will make your skin crawl. And he's like, and I find myself clicking on that and clicking on celebrity wardrobe malfunctions. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So um, if you even have guys like that admitting this, and another professional author, he's a secular guy, Nicholas Carr, he wrote the book, The Shallows. He says, I used to be an academic, an intellectual, diving deep into the realm of words and thoughts and ideas. I was a scuba diver, was the analogy, he says. And now I find I'm like a jet skier just skimming the surface. So what's going on? Well, let me tell you something. A lot of people say, I don't have time. I don't have time. <laughs> okay. Bill Gates, busy guy. He reads 50 books a year. Warren Buffett, busy guy, big top investor, right? 500 pages per day. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg reads one book every two weeks at least. Elon Musk grew up reading two books a day. Um, there can be intemperance in all things here, by the way. Uh, Mark Cuban <laughs> reads for more than three hours every day. Famous, famous guy. Arthur Blank, co-founder of Home Depot, reads for two hours a day. But I have no time to read. I have no time. I can't open a book and read. I don't have any time. Okay, let's take a look at these numbers, all right? If we as a society across the board just remove TV and social media, and we have, let's, let's hypothetically just say zero social media time and zero TV time, you would, in that time, if you applied all of that to reading only, not that we would do that, but just a thought exercise, at the average length of book 
the average words per page, the average page numbers, and the average um, speed of a reader for the average person would read a thousand books in a year. A thousand books in a year if you just remove TV and social media. So we have no time, right? Okay, so let's just cut it in half. Let's say you cut TV and social media in half. That's 500 books in a year. You just cut it 10%, you got 100 books read in a year. So yeah, we have time. By the way, putting down your phone may help you live longer. Stress, a huge issue. Your cortisol levels are elevated when your phone is in sight or nearby, or when you hear it or even think you hear it. This is a professor of clinical psychiatry that pointed this out. He says it's a stress response. And chronically elevated cortisol levels have been tied to an increased risk of serious health problems, including depression, anxiety, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, fertility issues, high blood pressure, heart attack, dementia, and stroke. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah, stress. we got to manage our stress. And so much phone use and online and on and off and ping, and, you know, it's, just, it's, just, it's stressful in our lives. Makes me want to take a deep breath. Every chronic disease we know of is exacerbated by stress, says Dr. Robert Lustig, Emeritus Professor in Pediatric Endocrinology at the University of California, San Francisco, and author of The Hacking of the American Mind. He says, and our phones are absolutely contributing to stress. Simply reading books reduces your chances of death over a 12-year period of time, 17%. How does sitting in a chair and reading a book reduce my chance of death? Hey, it's like, I'm just sitting. You're supposed to be exercising, right? Well, all things here, all good things in moderation, you're reducing stress by sitting and reading a book because you're not online. You're not uh, all the time. Quality, calm book reading is neurochemically energizing to the brain, actually. The media mind is depleted of vital force. When you're going online, it's, it's, it's depleting neurochemical energy of your brain from your brain, but, so it's depleting vital force. That's a phrase from Ministry of Healing, great, great phrase. The mind of Christ, though, is energized. One child commented, books slow me down and make me think. The internet speeds me up. Just rely on a child to say the most profound thing. I love that quote. That's awesome out of the mouths of babes. Have you ever read about a thoughtful hour in the contemplation of the life of Christ? Thoughtful. Hour, two operative words. Not that we need to be legalistic about it, it's exactly 60 minutes. It's a period of time. An hour would be awesome, actually. It does say an hour. We could be minimum. We could go longer. <laughs> thoughtful. Thoughtful hour. And if you're like, that's so out of my league, start with 20 minutes. Build up to it. You're going to gain a lot of benefits sitting quietly reading a physical paper book for 20 minutes and being thoughtful about it. It is energizing to the brain neurochemically, increases lifespan, and how about you're beholding Christ and eternal salvation is at your fingertips. These books are understimulating on purpose. Oh, but the spirit of prophecy, such long sentences. The paragraphs go on way longer than one line in news articles. That's, that's called a paragraph these days. The reason it's so rewarding to read books like Desire of Ages and Christ Object Lessons and such is because it's so understimulating. 
You have to invest yourself into it. You go deeply, you pour over it, you pause, you pray, you encounter the living God. And it's not entertainment, but it is edification. Have you heard those two words contrasted? Entertainment versus edification. I want to be edified, not merely entertained. I don't want to be a pleasure seeker. I want to be a seeker for truth with a capital T, Jesus himself. Elevated cortisol levels impair the prefrontal cortex. Impairment of the prefrontal cortex decreases self-control. We covered that in the first section with executive function and impulse control control, and my struggles with my emotions and self-control. Three in five millennials say life is more stressful than ever before. Why are we so stressed? A study out of the University of Queensland in Australia published in the Journal of Social Psychology found that taking a break from Facebook, we'll just say social media, even if it's for less than a week, can actually lower the levels of stress hormone, cortisol, in a person's body. Loneliness drops, depression drops, stress drops. This is a pretty good advertisement for everybody trying on a new set of lenses and maybe many of us getting off entirely or reducing it dramatically to a set time. The media mind is stressed, but the mind of Christ, ah, peaceful, peaceful. But 20-somethings today switch their media 20 times per hour, check their phones 170 times per day, 38% of college students cannot go 10 minutes without checking their phone, their their email tablet or smartphone. By the way, I'm not judging anybody when people get on their phone or whatever, but I've noticed in these seminars, people's eyes are on me in that screen. I just appreciate you guys and and, and that it's not a lot of distractions. That's awesome. That's just cool. I'm, I'm impressed. Do not stop to read papers and books that take your eye says Child Guidance 124. (laughs) Wait, papers and books that take our eye? How about every 10 minutes my phone is is, is pinging and dinging and buzzing and vibrating and ringing at me? It used to be that the biggest distraction was papers and books in the household where it's like, hey, I've got a task I've got to complete here, but I want to grab that pamphlet and read it or this periodical or this book. (laughs) Can you imagine a day where a book was the danger for distraction picking up just like I need to get the kitchen clean but I just like that book about you no know, <laughs> a- alligators or whatever the thing might be it just grabbed my attention I, I just found myself an hour reading that book boy that's a different time but the principle still applies doesn't it do not allow that smartphone that social media post that alert notification I need a new word for that Notification sounds so nice and positive. That's great marketing for the place, for the big tech industry. But I'll, t- I'll call it an interruption. I don't need the notification. I got notifications down for my wife and, you know, key people who need to get a hold of me, whatever. <clears throat> but not everybody I've ever known at any time of the day, 24 hours a day, and I'm up in the middle of the night with my phone, sleeping with my phone in my hand. If you missed that from the first session, a lot of people are doing that. 50% of teens are up in the middle of the night on their social media. No wonder we're stressed, sleep deprived, and all of these problems. The rest of the quote. Say to yourself, no. That's a word we got to learn again. No. Impulse does not need to rule. I can tell self. I can tell habit. No. By the power of Christ. No. In this case, I just have so many minutes in which to do my work. We could say no to more important even things than that. I must accomplish my task in the given time. I cannot get distracted. I'm going to multitask though. That's what I'm going to do, say people who are 
call themselves multitaskers. I might be stepping on some toes here, but Stanford University study looked at young, young people, young adults, and 100% of the young people said, if I'm allowed to multitask, I will get more done. Well, guess what? 100% of them were wrong. Productivity redu- was reduced 40%. Accuracy was reduced significantly. What's better is sequence in our tasking, sequential tasking, one at a time. This is how we do life. We focus on something and then move to the next. The media mind is just less productive, but the mind of Christ is more productive. And multitasking is the wrong word. There is such a thing as literal multitasking. When I am working with my hands and doing something, um, you know, that, that's mindless. You know, I'm pruning my apple trees or whatever. I'm always listening to something. And, you know, multi, you could call that multitasking. But what they mean by this is trying to accomplish tasks that require focused attention. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, as they say. You can walk and carry on a conversation at the same time because the walking part doesn't require focused attention or maybe an our culture it does because people are walking into the street with oncoming traffic as we saw in the earlier session uh, but but the focused attention you you can only focus your mind on one thing at a time so a better phrase for it is task switching so I'm going from this one back to this one and you're oscillating on focus from here now I'm going to focus here and there's loss there's attrition when you make that switch from focusing on one thing to another so the task switching is a better name for what people call multitasking there's real multitasking but Stanford was looking at this erroneous multitasking and they found these these young people were wrong they got 40% less done when they were trying to do multiple things that require focused attention Sherry Turkle explains that multitasking induces a neurochemical release that, 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 that she calls the multitasking high. It gives you a hit and the impression that you're accomplishing lots of things because you're going from one to the other. Like, now I'm doing this. Now I'm doing this. And that jumping around on tasks becomes addictive because we feel like we're being more productive even though we're not. Now, I want to I cruise toward the end with this concept of knowledge. I introduced it at the beginning. You're thinking about people of the book, literacy. Yes, we dealt with stress and multitasking, but I want to hone in on people of the book in the age of the app. Daniel, chapter 12, refers to a prophecy about the last days. It says, knowledge will increase. Now, let me ask you a question. They have a name for the age that we are in right now. Is it called the knowledge age? It's called the information age. It doesn't say information will increase in the last days. It says knowledge will increase. Now, when I've presented prophecy series before, I've often applied that verse to, you know, digital, you know, uh, storage of media and how it's exponentially growing and the amount of information you can find on Google. And I've applied it to information. And that's fine. You can do that. But, but the, 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 the heart of that is a certain kind of knowledge. Do you know what Daniel's talking about here when he says knowledge shall increase in the last days? Men will run to and fro. What is that talking about? When, when John says that, there, that the angel told him to eat the book and the book tastes sweet in the mouth but bitter in the belly... And when the Bible refers to the unsealing, seal up the truth until the time of the end. This knowledge is talking about the truth of prophecy. That's the real core meaning of that. And yes, we can talk about how we run to and fro on, you know, fast airplanes and trains and stuff. That, that's a fine application. But the, 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 real, the real heart of this is a depth of knowledge of the word of God. 
What does it mean to know in the Bible? To know. Have you ever read, this is eternal life? To know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Have you ever read about the marital relation and Adam knew his wife Eve? It's connection. It's, it's, it's intimacy. It's love. It's relational connectedness. And so when we have knowledge of the truth of the word of God, we are loving Jesus, the capital T, and the God who inspired this. It's a relationship that counts. And loving God with all of our mind is part of that. So to know doesn't just mean information, does it? it as I think about this, in the last, let's just say 20 years, we could say 50 years even, has, hu has humankind developed a deeper experience with Jesus in the Bible than our forebearers had? Uh, in general, in the culture, no. Okay, so then what is Daniel talking about? Knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall increase for a group of people who will receive it. For the remnant. Those are the ones that will have the experience of the bitter book and all of that. The, the Bible is referring to you, to us collectively, as the people of God in the last days. Because society at large is losing literacy. It's losing a love for the word of God. How is knowledge increasing in the last days? Well, guess what? This is one of those prophecies that you can fulfill in your daily choices. Does that feel, do you feel empowered by God? Like we can develop a knowledge of the truth by study of the word of God and not just information, not just Google it. Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Asks the poet T.S. Eliot. Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? And where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge. You see, there's another step in addition to just knowing the truth. Jesus said the truth shall set you free. The wisdom to walk in the light that we are shown. We can learn a lot at GYC. Will we make life choices? That requires wisdom. And more than wisdom, it requires conviction. It requires courage. It requires the strength of Christ because I can't make tough decisions in my own strength. Information is something a computer can do better than us. Do you remember when Watson, the computer, defeated the greatest Jeopardy champions at the game Jeopardy? Okay, AI, artificial intelligence, is already more intelligent than us by far, isn't it? That's information. But how do we move beyond mere information? How do we move beyond just facts into transformation, into wisdom, knowledge, and walking with Jesus? Well, I've got three words on the screen right there, and all of them are best done without a digital platform. Relationships, reflection, and prayer. Relationships, reflection, and prayer. The only way to translate information into knowledge. The only way to translate knowledge into wisdom. The only way to turn wisdom into faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Remember, we've seen a 40% drop in love in this generation. Empathy in the studies. The love of Moses is waxing cold. The digital dark days, perhaps, is upon us. But I want to give you some hope. As long as probation continues, there will be opportunity for, you ready for it? The, 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 the evangelistic work that continues until the very end involves the very topic we're talking about right here. The literature work. The printing work, the canvasser, it calls it. As long as probation continues, there will be opportunity for the canvasser to work. So we might be censored off all the social media platforms in the last days. We might even have like, you know, no access to these things. 
By the way, do we have the physical paper Bible and are we hiding the word of God in our heart? Or are we outsourcing all of our memory of the word of God to Google? Because when I build knowledge, even knowledge is built on the scaffolding of previous knowledge. If I'm outsourcing it all to Google and to the phone, then I'm not building upon previous knowledge and developing a base of understanding. As long as probation continues, this will not fail. Yes, perhaps the digital dark age is upon the broader culture. Yes, knowledge shall increase for a group who will allow it to. And we will be able to reach people with that canvassing work. In the early 1800s, the advent of the daily newspaper took the world by storm. And the prophets of doom said, this is the end of books. What need we have for books and reading when we have the daily, the up-to-date? This is what's going on right now. And they said, by the end of the century, there will be no such a thing as a book. <laughs> they were wrong, weren't they? Then the phonograph arrived, Edison's phonograph. And again, we were told there will be no more books because all we need to do is listen to the book read by a professional reader and people in the future will no longer comment on the prose of the author. They will merely analyze how the reader so captured that idea with his reading style. Books will disappear. They were wrong as well. Italian futurist Filippo Tommaso Marinetti said that in the 20th century, libraries would pass away, museums will be irrelevant, churches will pass away, mankind has no need to know anything about those who've gone before us. All we have is an urgent need to know everything that our contemporaries around the world at the present moment are doing. That was the first ever recorded mention of social media in history. <laughs> Not literally. But, um, wait a minute. He predicted that everything was going to disappear too? He was wrong too? You got the quote, as long as probation continues. As long as probation continues, we will continue with literacy, if we will. Even in heaven, there is a book, right? The judgment was set and the books were opened. People of the book in the age of the app. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you'd help us to find the right balance with our book reading and literacy on that, on that uh, physical object with a capital O, that cherished, cherished book we've, we've received by our forebearers, many people who, who, who died and who were, who were persecuted horrifically to bring this truth to us. We thank you for that. Help us to find the balance and also to utilize the tools to, to celebrate them, to embrace them, but not to, be, not to be owned by them, to be users of them, not used by them the digital tools. We love you. We want to know you. We want to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. So help us to apply these things in the right balance in our own unique uh, way in, in life that you are leading us on. And when it comes to the things of the world and the media of this world, help us to not balance that with your kingdom, but to come apart and be separate from anything we might be doing online that is of this world. Help us with that conviction and courage that we need to make tough decisions. And help us to try something different, Lord, that, that might draw us closer to you in, in areas of our devotional study and how we're using the digital devices. May they be devices in your hands, not devices of Satan to entrap us into distraction and addiction. We want to break free and find victory through the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.